Dear Livermore Court, a hidden gem, the jewel on top of Toxteth's crown. This is a thank you note. I've always raised an eyebrow when people say they're scared of Toxteth. At least once a week in school they'd say, I'm scared to go to Toxteth. And every time I'd say, don't be, I'm from Toxteth. As if that was all the justification they needed. But, to an 11 year old, saying that an aspiring actor who could sing and love to play chess with his granddad on a Saturday was from Toxteth, was pretty good rationale. What did I know? I was only a kid. Plus, scared. Scousers and fear don't mix. That's just a fact. Everybody knows that. So what are they scared of? I'd think. Home for me isn't a house. Or where the heart is. It isn't even wherever I lay my hat. By the way, if you haven't already, Marvin Gaye, Wherever I Lay My Hat, great song. No. Home for me is you. A first floor flat tucked in the heart of Toxteth, just off Lodge Lane. Livermore Court. It's been a while, hasn't it? Since I buried my childhood treasures in your grounds. But that doesn't matter, because even after relationships, clubs, moving cities, learning how to drive, and university, my heart is still with you. And I come back to you now, grown up, with full recognition of what you truly have, are, and give. You sit in an area rich with history and culture. The Guinness Book of Records holds Liverpool as the capital of pop, with more Scousers hitting number one than any other town or city, making us natural chart-toppers, of course. We've got the greatest variety of historic paintings, specimens, over 80,000 artefacts from a Titanic life jacket to ancient Greek magical amulets in the entire country held at National Museums Liverpool. And we are the most successful footballing city in England. Home to Liverpool FC, Everton FC, Tranmere Rovers and so many more. Our teams have won 27 league championships, 12 FA Cups, 6 European Cups, 8 League Cups, 1 UEFA Cup and 1 FIFA Club World Cup. But, when all is said and done, Liverpool's greatness is encapsulated in Toxteth. Toxteth L8 is an area in South Liverpool. It is a bubbling cauldron, a cultural beacon, a diverse cocktail of people filled with communal spirit, solidified through its history, stories, music, and of course, its people. Toxteth has many parts to its history. It's home to the oldest black community in Europe. During slavery, many slaves were brought to and traded on the Liverpool docks, creating massive financial gain for the city and its merchants. It's produced powerhouse talent such as John Archer, the first black mayor in London, John Conter, a champion boxer who even Muhammad Ali said was almost as pretty as I am, and Dorothy Coyer one of Liverpool's greatest fighters against racism and racial intolerance. 
celebrities such as Nat King Cole would flock to Palm Cove nightclub in LA to experience a taste of true Scouse hospitality, and Toxteth gave the world Willie Russell, writer of Our Day Out, and of course, Blood Brothers. Yeah, you're welcome, Earth. But... Toxteth was rocked by massive unemployment in the 70s, and as the economic decline begun, the racial tensions between police and the black community, which had plagued Toxteth for decades, sharply rose, sparking the riots in 81. And after anger, fire, bullets and destruction, Toxteth was left devastated. Culturally, economically, spiritually. But that was years ago, right? 40 years ago. It's not like that anymore. To us from Toxteth, we have our mojo back. On my way to get my number three fade at first choice cuts on Lodgy, I'm filled with a real sense of optimism. I see fresh faces. I feel the community pulse thumping. I can smell the spices from the local international shop. If I choose, I could take a short, five-minute detour and walk to one of three parks. And of course, from the ashes you arose, didn't you, Livermore Court? So what are they scared of? If Toxteth is the pulse, then you, Livermore Court, are the beating heart. You encapsulate everything Toxteth is, and you feed that to the life within your walls. Of course, Lodge Lane assists you. Its valiant and determined history runs through bringing new life and depositing the creativity, passion and innovation that helps nurture the leaders of tomorrow. So what are they scared of? To the untrained eye, woolly backs, you are just windows, walls and trees. A mere extension to Lodgy. Nothing particularly special. But when you're born in Liverpool, what they don't tell you is that you inherit a gift from generations past. Scouse vision, an ingrained imagination and curiosity in the face of adversity. So, Livermore Court, you became so much more than just a closer flats. Your trees became safe houses when we needed to escape from the time to come in, your tea's ready calls. The hallways became noisy extensions of Anfield, taking a 4-0 battering from my yellow flyaway many a time, and the hollow bush sat outside my best friend Joel's house became a sanctuary for young love to blossom from a first kiss. By the way, Naomi, wherever you are, thank you. Just don't tell your brother, Joel. So what are they scared of? It's me isn't it? Not me as in Aaron, but my blackness or blackness itself. It's not Toxteth, the area they're scared of, or the trees, or the shops, or the smells. It's the people. Till the age of eight, I never felt that being black was anything other than who I was. Is that weird? It wasn't something that I was trying to be, it just was. When a black boy matures into a young black man, we become a threat. All the misconceptions and perceptions of Toxteth, or even just 
what it means to be black from an external point of view are instantly attached to me. I knew that more than ever as I was egged and told to get back to Toki as I was running down my nan's road, clutching my chest set at 11 years old. It was then that I realised what you had done for me, Livermore Court. This is a thank you note. Remember? Thank you. Thank you. You had, have, provided me with a rare opportunity to have a safe space, free from prejudice, ignorance and hate. A space to have fun, climb trees, have sword fights, wrestling matches and collect snails. Yeah, we really did that. A space to be a child, before the world got involved. Thank you. Yours always, Aaron Julius. Ooh, P.S. Livermore Court? Keep doing what you're doing. I'll be back for the treasure I buried when I was six. And by treasure, I mean a pen, 50p, and a pack of Starburst. The clop of heels and wooden-soled shoes echoed off the looming buildings of Basnet Street. An autumnal wind sighed over the din of voices, bringing a chill that cut to the marrow. Some of the hunched forms looked my way, never for long. Silence at last. I stood, slabs of ice where my feet should be. The shadows of the alley offered sanctuary. Deep into the gloom, I found the basement window, boxes shielding it unmoved. After a last glance over my shoulder, I shoved them out of the way and slipped inside. Mist billowed from my mouth, more so than outside. The smell of rot seemed worse than usual. Dark as Williamson tunnels, I fumbled about for the palm-sized torch I'd found outside the grand office of a law firm on Old Hall Street. It emitted a dim, flickering glow. Even without the torch, I knew my way. Three weeks I'd been here. It still made me smile, living in the George Henry Lee's building, the place I used to come shopping with Mum when I was a kid. It had all happened by chance. One night, as I passed the boarded-up building, I noticed workers loading a van at the top of the alley beside it. I'd slipped through a side door when they weren't looking, and hidden. A warm, dry night was all I was after, but nobody had returned. I had it all to myself, an empty palace. I left the basement, made my way up what had once been the staff staircase. I glanced at the door leading to the ground-level shop floor and froze. Clicked off the torch, held my breath, rushed to the wall closest to the door and ducked down behind it. Light. One of the first things I tried when I moved in was the light switches. None had worked, including this one. Could someone else be in here? I looked through the tiny windows of the doors revealed nothing. I pushed one open, winced as the creak shattered the silence of the room. Moving at a crouch, I reached the nearest shelving unit and after a deep breath, peered into the open space beyond, empty as my stomach. I held position, my breath too, and watched them waited to see if anyone revealed themselves by sight or sound. Satisfied I was alone, I sighed, stood, and regarded the lights. What had made them come back on? On my way to the room that had become my own, a back office on the top floor, I tried other switches. Some worked, some didn't. The power, it seemed, had been switched on. 
This ought to be good news. No longer do they have to sit in darkness, living by the light of torches. Instead, unease churned in my stomach. It meant something, and I wasn't sure what. This is a story from my childhood. I must have been about five or six, I suppose, and I was in town with my dad. I don't know where we'd been or where we were going, but we were walking up St John's Lane towards Lime Street. Actually, I think in those days, it was a while ago, there were bus stops in Lime Street, so we may have been going to get the bus home. As we got to the steps of St George's Hall, those long sweeping steps, my dad said, run up those steps and count them. Run along the top, come down the other end, and count them again coming down. So I did, and it was a different number. I was confused. I did it again, and sure enough, it was a different count going up to coming down. How could that be? Well, of course, it's because St John's Lane slopes up to Lime Street, so as the steps get to the top of the hill, they taper and flatten out, and the bottom ones sort of disappear into the pavement. So there are indeed less steps at the top end. Well, my six-year-old brain couldn't work that out. I just thought my dad was magic. I thought it was some clever magic trick that he had done. And I just laughed and laughed. I don't think he explained it to me at the time. He just reveled in being a superhero magician. So now, when I pass St George's Hall, I admire its architecture, its grandeur, its beauty. But also, I always remember its little magic trick hidden on the steps. I watched them all piling off at the coaches and swarming towards me like an invasion. They bring a buzz, an excitement, sometimes even tears. There is a mix of people, accents, genders, and I feel like I'm travelling the world. They rush over, queuing to have their picture taken, fighting over who goes first. As they pose with me, I know who's serious and who's up for a laugh, enjoying those who choose to lean on me and copy my stance. One woman touches my nose and giggles, showing her excitement. One family bundle all around me posing, with the smallest at my knees. Can't deny, I like the attention and miss it as they rush back to their coach. I love it when people leave things draped on me. A wreath of flowers, a scarf, sometimes sticking a cigarette in my mouth. When the tourists go home, I'm left with the workers hurrying past, desperate to get to their jobs, but knowing as soon as they're in the office, they'll be desperate to leave. The day goes past in a blur of tourists, workers and groups of teenagers, and before I know it, it's time for the evening shift to begin. I watch the bar staff opening up around me, wondering what tales they'll be able to tell tomorrow. One guy always pats me on the head on the way into his shift. I wasn't a fan at first, but now if he didn't do it, I honestly think I'd miss it. I see the first drinker arriving and heading down to the bar. 
I know I'll not see him for hours until he stumbles out. I watch the groups of girls start arriving in their tight skirts and rocket heels. They have to lean on me to fix a falling shoe strap and the smell of their perfume. On an unlucky day, one will puke on me, but it's all just part of the job. I love to watch the late night dog walks and pray the bundles of fluff don't need to relieve themselves. I watch the pigeons fly past and I often wonder what it would be like to be so unrestricted. I see the couple walking past kissing. So hopeful, young and free. I remember everything I once did as I watch others living their dream. The Cure by Catherine Wright The last place I went before the descent of the country into a confusing soup of misinformation and repetitive days was Liverpool. It had been a rough few months. My anxiety had peaked and public transport was suddenly this malign prospect in my life. It made me panicky. I went to the GP. I tweaked my meds. Liverpool was my goal. Liverpool is medicine, a reward to myself. I go there with my loves and then return to fix my inevitably shattered heart. When I am broken, Liverpool is where I repair myself. In the wondrous place exhibited at the Museum of Liverpool, all my cares melt away, replaced with righteous fury that, even in a space dedicated to the rich and varied culture of the city, Jerry and the pacemakers barely get a look in. A light, radiant with indignation, I pay my respects to the bronze Billy Fury and hum the chorus to Ferry Cross the Mersey. The most times I've ever burst into the song outside Liverpool One is three. They weren't one after another. Usually someone cuts me off before I reach the second syllable of the word ferry. I like that shoddy beetle statue. You know the one I mean. Incredulous at its persistence. And I know it's silly, but I swear that every time I visited, no matter what time of year, the sun was blazing, baking, the whole city sparkling like a drag queen's lippy, even when it was pissing it down or blowing a force 5,000 gale. Even in sourness, in memories that sting and pain that makes me breathless, it is easier to love myself on the concourse at Lime Street. I am brave and I am beautiful. Liverpool welcomes me with open arms and a heart full of hope. I breathe in deeply and I let go. Healing, healing, healed. I haven't had a pint for eight months. Dry January overstayed its welcome and the pub's closing meant the only temptation to ruin my newfound sobriety came from my mum offering me a mascara dinner and tonic on a Friday night. Maybe I'll never drink again. No more anxiety-filled hangovers, never-ending dry mouth or sickly self-loading. I suppose that'd mean no more cons, though. That's my local, the cons. That's what we call it, the people who drink there. If you walk past it, you're probably thinking it was an abandoned bomb shelter with its tin roof and cold water stetter. It's so ugly you won't even find a picture of it on Google, which I think is an achievement in itself. But it doesn't matter what a boozer looks like, does it? It's about what goes on inside. The people who come and go. The bar staff, the footy team, the snooker lads. Even Compost Corner, where the more senior drinkers sit and reminisce and moan about. Well, moan about anything, really. 
a little community of drinkers. Come to think of it, the unofficial motto of our football team is, we are the people. We drunkenly shouted after a win or defeat. Either way, it reminds us we're part of something. Something bigger. A collective. We instead of I. A typical weekend in the con starts on a Friday, as we unsuccessfully try to keep the noise down for the fellas who play dominoes in the corner. They sit in studious silence, only breaking concentration for a sip of bitter or a knock on the table. I don't think it's lost on us that we'll be the ones playing someday. A band might play in the back room on a Saturday night, which means friends and families, young and old, mingling, singing and dancing. Feet tapping to the sound of a fiddle, and maybe a slobby with me mate's nan on a dance floor the size of a phone box. When the band pack up, it's time to see who fancies taking over the mic. The night can't stop there. There's usually an a cappella version of Psycho Killer, some over-the-top preaching, or sing-alongs of songs that have been passed on through generations, and whose lyrics are written in the minds of those who wish to keep them alive. Sunday is my drinking day. A day for proper drinkers who face the prospect of being hungover and work with resolute determination. Some people go to church, but this is almost religious for us. There's plenty of similarities as well. Wine, shaking hands, singing. There's even someone who usually dominates the conversation. You can't tell a priest to shut up though. That's why I prefer the pub. Some Sundays there are four people, some there are forty. Twenty quid in the kitty, take your seat and it's time to put the world to rights. Conversations, stories, arguments, debates. Never mind leave or remain, Everton or Liverpool, Corbin or Starmer. Do you have scouts on a plate or in a bowl? It's a bowl for me, but the debate rages on. The sight of Terry quietly strumming his guitar means at any moment he's about to embark on a five-hour set list of hit after hit. He's a human jukebox that gets better after every double brandy. It's when the warm buzz of drunkenness sets in and you squint your eyes and look around at everybody, smiling and singing to Carol King and Simon and Garfunkel. It's at that point you realise what a special place it is. A weird and wonderful throwback to a different time. It feels like the best kept secret in Liverpool. Maybe that's why you can't find a picture of it on Google. When it closed, it felt like the soundtrack to my life had been put on pause. The conversations, the singing, the people, all taken for granted. You worry it might not open again. And when there's less alehouses like this, there's less community. So I probably will have a drink again. And when I next sit down with a pint in the cons, socially distanced of course, I'll have a look around at the people who make this place more than bricks, mortar and a tin roof. And I might just whisper to myself, we are the people. A city of culture. A city to be proud of. That's what Liverpool always was to me. I remember being younger and taking advantage of all the opportunities that were on offer. Being taken to the theatre, seeing Blood Brothers on the Empire for the first time and when that gunshot rang around the theatre thinking this is the best thing I have ever seen and I need to be a part of it. Joining the Everyman Youth Theatre and performing on that stage, a stage that before me so many others had made their names on. Going to the bistro and it being packed with artists actors, directors, writers, and the atmosphere was just incredible. Being a teenager and just soaking it all in. The fact that I could study drama, 
in my own city was amazing. And I'd go to gigs every night. And yeah, I mean, some of them would be really shit, but some of them were just incredible. It was just that option that you could go anywhere in the city and you'd find music. It wasn't until I'd leave the city, I'd go and visit friends in universities and other cities, or I'd go to Castings in London. And I started to realise that not everybody saw Liverpool the way that I saw Liverpool. That people's perceptions were skewed by an outdated impression that we were thieves, that we were scallies, that we were football thugs. A reputation that we never deserved because we never were. Liverpool is music. Liverpool is song. Liverpool is laughter. Liverpool is creativity. I remember in 2008 and I was asked to be a part of the opening ceremony for the Capital of Culture and it was on the steps of St George's Hall, such a beautiful building and myself and my friends, we were, were angels, angels of the city and we had these wings that were six feet wide, absolutely incredible and everything was happening and the city was buzzing, the media were there and I remember being a part of it and I remember feeling so proud that this was what people would see, that finally people would see who we are, that we are cultured, that we are creative, that we are proud. Finally, they'd say, this is Liverpool. This is my Liverpool. Hi, yeah, my name's Leon Best. Uh, you might have seen me in a good few things at the Everyman and Playhouse over the years. Um, I'm protected. I was in Educating Lisa for 35th year anniversary production with the glorious Conor O'Neill, directed by the fantastic Gemma Bodney, and of course written by the one, the only, Willie Russell, amongst others. Um, I'm here because, uh, like you, the Everyman and Playhouse has got a huge place in my life and in my heart and in my creative life um i know times are tough but if you can if you're able would you consider donating a few pennies a few quid to the everyman and playhouse and um, you can do that by their website everymanandplayhouse.com so that you can support them so that we can support them in continuing to provide a space to nature artists to tell stories to continue having the conversations that we need to be having as a society. Um, I'm about to be with Thespi, but there's a beautiful scene in Educating Rita where Frank and Rita were talking about E.M. Foster and she doesn't really understand the concept and she keeps saying to her, only connect, only connect. And that for me is what theatre is and what storytelling is. Um, and now more than ever, I think we need to connect. Really need to connect. Um, and these spaces are so valuable. They're valuable for us, they're valuable for our young people, our young artists, to feel like they have a, a place to have a voice. So yeah, if you can, would you? Please, I will. And if you can't, loads of love. Um, speak soon, bye.